manifestation is not the same thing as materialism, but a lot of the times they've been wrapped up because of the culture that we live in and because we haven't had the space to really question what is it that actually makes us happy and what is it that we really want to manifest and what is ethical manifestation. You're listening to the Spiritual AF Sundays podcast, episode 43, Reimagining Manifestation Beyond Materialism with guest Laura Hartley. You're listening to Spiritual AF Sundays, created and hosted by The Mystic Geek. If you're looking to explore intriguing questions about the meaning of life and our place in the universe, then you're in the right spot. We dive into topics often discussed as sound bites on social media and take a deeper look, whether it's woo topics like astrology and mysticism, or seemingly mundane matters like technology and politics, we cover it all. We explore our own thoughts and beliefs, talk to experts, and uncover hidden meanings. These fascinating areas of exploration can help us question ourselves and better understand our world. Ready to grow and explore in your spiritual journey? We're glad you can join us. It's time to start your week off by being spiritual AF. Hello, friends, fellow mystics, and spiritual rebels. This is Jessica, the Mystic Geek, coming to you with yet another perspective on this Spiritual AF Sundays podcast. If you've been following me for a while, you've know that I'm a bit of a skeptic when it comes to all the talk about manifestation, vibration, law of attraction, and all that jazz. I'm aware of what I do and what I focus on, and I see where I'm at at life, and I'll admit I'm pretty fortunate. I also see the amount of work that others are doing and how they struggle, and I have a hard time believing that their struggles are because they aren't focusing on the right things, they aren't thinking the right thoughts, or they aren't trying hard enough. It's hard to reconcile the simplistic messages around manifestations with systems and structures in place that make life easier for some and harder for others based on things that are outside of their immediate control. Plus, where I hear people talk about manifesting, it's typically something material and extravagant, like manifestation coaches who live in luxury homes or in destination locations. We follow them because we think that if we have what they have, we'll be happier, and that's not always the case. Turns out, I'm not alone in thinking critically on this. Now, before we jump into the conversation, let me share a little bit about our guest today. Laura Hartley is an activist and coach, helping change makers deepen their impact while living their most thriving life. Fascinated by the relationship between inner and outer change, Laura bridges system change with self-work to empower change makers with the skills of getting free dismantling capitalism and patriarchy from the inside out. She offers coaching and courses in healing burnout cycles and culture, inner leadership, and finding purpose in a climate-changed world. If you want to learn more about Laura's work, you can check out her website, laurahartley.com. I had a lovely discussion with Laura about understanding what manifestation is, Turns out that law of attraction, the concept that has had so much hype because of books like The Secret, is just one framework for manifesting. We also discuss how culture impacts how we view manifestation and why it's all messed up. We look into how capitalism has hijacked spirituality in the West 
and how privilege impacts our own views around manifestation. Laura also shares one important way to know how well you're progressing spiritually. And no, it's not the ability to manifest the resources to go to a $10,000 spiritual retreat. We also go into the cultural biases behind why spirituality has become so materialistic. Finally, we get into the steps that we can take to manifest ethically, bringing into our lives the things that we want without focusing on accumulating stuff to keep up with the Joneses. It's time to grab your favorite beverage, sit in your favorite chair, and get ready for this insightful discussion. And welcome back, everyone. Today, we have Laura Hartley with us to talk about manifestation uh, and then all of the other topics adjacent to it that are relevant in this day and age. Laura, we are glad to have you here today. Ah, Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, so I'm a climate activist and I'm a coach working with change makers. So essentially, I help people deepen their impact in the world while also living their most meaningful and their most thriving life. All of my work is in this space of honoring and having deep respect and a deep passion for self-work and all of the modalities that that includes, of particularly coaching, therapy, plant medicine, breath work, all the ways we can go within and get to know ourselves, but also in the deep recognition that we live in a really precarious point in time and that the world needs uh, our attention, it needs our remaking. And that our inner work needs to be in alignment with creating a more beautiful and a more just world. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that part. So since we're talking about manifestation today, I'm going to go to the absolute basics on this one. How would you define manifestation? Ooh. Manifestation in its most like simplest form is really just using our thoughts and our mindset and our beliefs at really aligning our thoughts, our words, and our actions with what we want in the world to create the desired effect. So to make something manifest is to make something obvious, to make something visible. And when we're talking about manifesting as an idea that's been around for hundreds of years, really even thousands if you take it back, there's a lot of elements in the Bible that's very similar to manifesting as well, that when we use our thoughts in alignment with what it is that we want to create, that we can create it in the external world. Now, manifesting is very wrapped up in something called the law of attraction. The two are not exactly identical. They actually can be used exclusively. But the law of attraction is a spiritual idea that says that the universe is always working on our behalf and that when we align ourselves with the energy of what it is that we want to experience, that we can create it and manifest it into the world. Thanks for sharing that part. And yes, I am familiar with the law of attraction through the book, The Secrets, that came out a a while back. Yes, about 20 years ago now, I think. Yeah, I think that was about the time frame. So one of the things I've noticed, especially when we look at social media, is when people tout that they are manifestation coaches, what they end up doing is showing what they've accumulated, whether it is money, resources, living on remote islands or in places that are considered very expensive. Why or how do manifestation get tied up with this level of materialism? Ooh. So I think part of the issue here is not the issue of manifestation itself. It's the fact that we live in a hyper-individualistic consumerist culture that tells us that we need these things to be successful. That's what our idea of success, of happiness, of wealth, that's what you're supposed to want. And so if that as a culture is what we have deemed to be 
an external uh, signal of wealth, of status, of something that you should desire, then of course, when we're looking to manifest things, we're not always looking genuinely at what we want or what makes us happy or at our inner needs or what the world needs. We're going to be like, hey, you know what? No, I want this island. I want this photo of me in front of this like massive mansion with the sports car and they're like the Louis Vuitton handbag or whatever it may be because these are status symbols. And so I like to make that point clear that manifestation is not the same thing as materialism, but a lot of the times they've been wrapped up because of the culture that we live in and because we haven't had the space to really question what is it that actually makes us happy and what is it that we really want to manifest and what is ethical manifestation? But you mentioned ethical manifestation. How would you define that? I think in 2023, if we're using manifestation and not considering the climate crisis that is unfolding around us, like anybody like living through like this summer in the Northern Hemisphere, like it's pretty obvious what is unfolding. If we're not considering the lack of resources that are unfairly distributed around the world, and if we're also not considering our genuine intrinsic needs, so often we are chasing an external idea of happiness, an external idea of success that isn't aligned with the things that actually are proven to make us happy, things like community, things like being, things like uh, good health. So there's elements here about understanding the wider picture that we're living in and also recognizing the systems that we're all living in while using manifestation tools. We mentioned a couple of things there, a lot of that being around the issue of impact, the issue of resources being unevenly distributed and things like that. What do you feel is driving all of this? The push for people to not care about the climate, not care about the uneven distribution of wealth, and not to even care about what their sole purpose or what they're in a drive. What is that driving force behind that? Mm. So for me, I bring it back to the idea of capitalism. So we all live in a capitalist society and capitalism is an economic system, but it's also an ideology. There's also a belief system that goes along with it. Now, capitalism is really founded upon three principles. The first of these is the pursuit of infinite growth on a finite planet. Capitalism is obsessed with growth. It only knows how to define success as growth. You need to be growing year on year. We all know that if the economy starts to pause or slow or retract, it's very bad. Nobody wants that. But you can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. That is a problem. The second is the manufactured uh, production of scarcity. We often think capitalism sometimes gets labeled as a system of greed, but it's really a system of scarcity because you can't have infinite growth without scarcity to drive it. Now, that scarcity, the most obvious, easiest example that we see is something called planned obsolescence. Our phones, our refrigerators, our ovens, our computers, what any device is designed to break. And it's designed to break much sooner than it actually has to because then we'll buy another one, right? So we've baked scarcity into the system. And the third thing is that we devalue beautiful living systems like uh, forests and jungles and oceans that only have value when we can take something from them. So it's only in relationship to timber or to tourism or to fishing and not in and of themselves. Now, when we live in a system or an economic system that is founded on these principles, then it's pretty natural then that we start to internalize those beliefs. We feel we need to keep up with the Joneses or with the Kardashians or whatever it may be. We always need to be striving for that next place. We feel like we override our own kind of body and needs because we're living very in our heads, right? Because again, the beautiful natural living world that includes our bodies, that includes us, doesn't have much value. 
we have this sense of scarcity that there's never enough. There's not enough time. There's not enough money. I don't have enough. I'm not good enough. And so, of course, then we're going to naturally seek things that make us feel both safer, but also more status-driven that are going to have us on that thing of, oh, I've got enough. It's okay. It's okay. And when I've just got enough, I'll be able to give a bit more to the next person. And so there's a lot wrapped up living in a capitalist society with these beliefs and practicing manifestation at the same time. And I practice manifestation. I think it's a beautiful practice. I think it, it has a lot of validity that what we focus on matters. But we need to be conscious of focusing on things that are actually bringing well-being to both ourselves and to our communities. Spirituality, what spirituality is supposed to be about. It's about our embodied experience on this planet. It's about identifying what our true self is. It's about experiencing abundance that runs up against those core principles of capitalism of constantly having to self-improve when we don't necessarily need to. It's nice, but there's times where we should simply be. Uh, and then also, a lot of our experiences, we can't put a price tag on. And that's where it kids up against capitalism. If you can't put a price tag on it, is it really worth anything? And then we're, we feel pressured to not pursue things. I, nowadays in 2023, one of the pressures out there is if you have a hobby, monetize it versus simply, have, versus simply have a hobby for the sake of having a hobby or for the sake of simply enjoying things. Yeah. And that's the thing. When we're thinking about spirituality, I, I always love that quote that so many of us know that we're a, a spiritual being having a human experience. We're not just Ooh. humans having a spiritual experience. But I think the emphasis there is human experience and what that really means. And for me, the ultimate thing about being human is being able to feel deeply. It's about being in relationship. It's about being in connection. It's about being part of the natural world, being in love with the natural world in awe of it. And so it's not about gathering things, but because we live in a culture that is so obsessed with individualism and so obsessed with scarcity, so obsessed with this idea of more is better, growth is good, then we unconsciously end up following those habits. And of course, then we end up monetizing our hobbies with a side hustle. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that sometimes. We don't always have to monetize it if we don't want to. We end up Seeing spirituality as well. Can I afford this like $10,000 meditation retreat or uh, like how much green juice do I drink or how much, have I, how many yoga classes have I been to instead of really the deep questions of how loving am I? How am I embedding my spot in my spirituality and my spiritual beliefs into my politics? Right. So how is it influencing my, how I show up in my community? How are we using our spirituality to really foster our connection? And to, to say, you know what, this is what I believe and this is the world that I'm willing to stand for. And so there's a lot of elements that I think get co-opted by capitalism very easily that miss the real truth of what spirituality is supposed to be. That enlightenment is not some one-time event. It's about creating the inner and outer conditions for us to show up fully as we are, internally with our authenticity, but externally so that everybody feels safe to show their true self. Absolutely. That's an interesting point that you put out there with people going out and buying with the $10,000 spiritual retreats. You can have as significant of a spiritual experience going to your local park and camping overnight as you can at a retreat. I think it was Ram Das who said, if you want, I'm going to butcher this slightly, but if you want to know like how well you're progressing spiritually, go spend a week with your family. 
And I love that. This is so true, right? It's all well and good to feel like all zen and amazing when we're at the retreat. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do this. Mm -hmm. If you have the ability to do that and you want to go spend time at a retreat, go and do that. But it's really about how are we when we go back home and we're with our parents for a week? Okay, like how are we actually holding space for ourselves and our emotions and for being loving and compassionate and wise during those situations? Mm-hmm. Not just with our family, because that's our, our core people, our core group. But I can also see that like, how is it when you go back to your coworkers or you go back Past. to your neighbors or you go back to your city? How are you reconnecting with those who may have different experiences than you or who's being at a place where Basically, you're only with people who can afford to spend $10,000 or put it on their credit card to try and be, quote unquote, spiritual. Yeah. And that's the other thing with this idea of manifestation. There is an element, what it is rooted in is believing that you can have what you want and feeling the experience of having what you want. But sometimes there's messages that get wrapped up in there that say, Oh, unless you're willing to put the $10,000 that you don't have on your credit card right now to pay for this course and trust that you can manifest it, then you don't really believe in yourself. And that's completely untrue. So we shouldn't be making also decisions that are outside of alignment with, with where we currently are or with what feels safe to us. Because the moment we don't feel safe, one, we're not going to manifest it. And two, those beliefs are also steeped in a whole lot of privilege around class, around race, around gender that haven't been taken into account. Exactly. And when people pressure you to put their retreat cost or a business course cost on a credit card, that's predatory. It is. I, I, I don't know that it's always meant that way. I think sometimes, absolutely, yes, it is. I think sometimes there is a privilege that comes with having certain identities in this society. And that means having a certain level of wealth, having a certain skin color, having a certain gender, having a certain sexuality that sometimes we forget actually that not everybody experiences those same privileges that we do. That not everybody has the same luck or fortune that we do. And that doesn't mean that people aren't capable of manifesting. It doesn't mean that we can't have what we want or that we shouldn't work with other people. But it does mean we need to recognize the privilege in the background and perhaps even the safety nets that we have that other people do not have. Exactly there. So since we talked about the core issue here of manifestation, at least in the Western world, being so tied up with capitalism, how do we start disentangling that? How do we start working toward ethical manifestation that supports the greater world around us and not just us trying to chase a tiny object? So I think the very first thing is actually getting clear on what it is that you want and why you want it. Part of the issue with books like The Secret and other wonderful tools out there, which have some really good information. They do have some good practices, but they're very much wrapped up in, hey, you want to manifest a new car? Hey, you want to manifest a bigger house? And that's the problem. Why do you want that? Why do you want a better car? Is it because your car is unreliable and you live in a place where you need a car? Okay, great. Manifest a new car. But is it because this one's just getting a little bit old and you want to feel like a bit shinier and, you know, is that actually serving you and is it serving the well-being of your community and of the planet as well? If we're wanting a bigger house, again, is that because we actually need one, we need more space, this is, we live in a shoebox and this isn't serving us, or is it just because of what other people think of us? So we want to get clear on what is it that we actually want. And a lot of the times we bring it back to what is the feeling that I want? I want a feeling of more friendship. 
I want a feeling of more connection. I want a feeling of more love. I want a feeling of greater freedom. And that's a reason to manifest more money. So what is the feeling that we want? And then recognizing ways in which we're manifesting that. And is that actually in alignment with our community's well-being, with our planet's well-being, and with our own personal individual well-being? So I think that first bit is a really strong distinction there. Mm-hmm. Yes, figuring out what it is that we want. And I feel like that is a big challenge in this world. As you said, we talk about scarcity as part of capitalism. And get time is one of those things we need to slow down enough to figure out what it is that we want. And then at the yeah. same time, we're rushed to do all these things. It's almost as if the system is trying to keep us from figuring out our true self. It's almost as if it's designed this way to keep us in a cycle of always needing, wanting, having, buying more. And it, it absolutely is. That's the thing. We live in a capitalist society that is self-perpetuating. So it's very difficult to start to... I want to challenge that. It's not difficult to start to break free, but it can seem difficult when we have never seen it or when we don't have the tools to do that. So that first step of actually really questioning the scarcity involved in the world is important because it's that scarcity that's in our mindset that says, yeah, but I don't have enough, right? Is that actually true? And then I'm going to ask you, do you know what enough feels like? Do you know what satiety feels like? Do you know what satisfaction feels like? Do you know what abundance feels like? Because if we can't start to even imagine these feelings, then it's very difficult to ever know when we've reached that place. It's very difficult to know, is this actually what I want? Is this actually in alignment with my authentic desires? Or is this just me chasing the next thing that's going to make me feel a little bit better because I hate my job and having a new outfit will make me feel better? So that space of understanding satiety, which plays as well into diet culture, like anybody here who's on the roller coaster of diet culture, like I certainly have been for 20 something plus years, that says that, yeah, okay, you got to control, you got to restrict your food, or you're going to like eat everything because you're not on a diet anymore. We've lost that sense of satiety. With money, we're often either controlling, it's okay, I'm on a budget, I can't spend anything, or you know what, treat myself and spend whatever. Okay. We have lost this middle balance ground. And I think finding a way to return to that and have a practice around that and just starting to imagine that feelings in our bodies, in our hearts, what we would do with that feeling and how we can relax into it is one, both a tool of manifestation, but two, like really key to understanding the ethics behind it as well of how much is enough. Yeah. I think part of it is also the feeling of deserving. Again, we go back to the concept of capitalism and constant growth and this pressure and inner narrative we have that we're not enough. And what I've seen, and there's actually a book about it called The Big Leap, where people have what's called an upper limit, meaning that there's only so much happiness, so much joy, so much willingness that they have to both expose themselves to feeling positive, to feeling satisfied, to feeling these things before they start self-sabotaging because society has told them they're not good enough to experience this. Yeah, which is part, I think, of living in patriarchal capitalist society here and, and one based on white supremacy as well, that many of us have internalized beliefs that say that we are not enough as we are. And it, when I talk about the internalization of scarcity and the internalization of capitalism, I'm very much talking about This isn't conscious. This is playing out at the level of our unconscious mind. All of those stories and beliefs that start to shape how we act in the world that we've never unpacked because they've just always been there. And so we assume this is just the way the world is. But it's not true. These ideas that we're not good enough, that we don't deserve it, that 
We need to do more in order to deserve something. Even deserving rest is a great example of this, right? Oh, Garrett, I, I had such a lazy night on the couch last night. I, you know, I, I have so much I need to get done. Like I, you know, I just, I can't rest. I haven't done enough yet. I just need to finish it. That we have internalized this message of scarcity. And this is a product of culture. It is not a product of being human. It does not exist in every part of the world. It exists very much of a product of the hyper-capitalist and patriarchal conditions that we live under that particularly say women are not enough as they are. And that for women, you need to buy more. You need to look different. You need to sound different. You're too bossy or you're too maternal. There is no middle ground for this in our culture. And so deciding for ourselves what enough is and what feels good, understanding that we deserve it because we're alive and we deserve to flourish that's a radical act, in my opinion. Got it. And thanks for sharing that. Now, with the Barbie movie, we now have language when it comes to patriarchy and what that impact is for women. There's another term that you brought up, which some people might be turned off on because of their own learnings around it, white supremacy. And so here we are, two white or white presenting women talking about this topic on this. And what I find interesting is even among large groups of white people, you will still see white supremacy play out. So for our listeners, how would you define white supremacy and how it can play out in dairy subgroup? Much like patriarchy, we live in a world that was designed for men. I think a lot of us can see that, right? And that's everything from our workplaces to our cities. There are so many elements. It's just all designed around men. But that's also the same with whiteness, that we live in a culture that institutionally and individually believes in the value of white skin or light skin above all others. What we're really talking here, or an easy kind of entry point to this work, is this idea of white privilege that often comes up. And really what this is talking about is not the as white people, that we haven't had challenges, that there aren't difficult things that we go through, but that we've never had to deal with the color of our skin being one of those challenges, that we don't experience racial prejudice. I'm incredibly privileged that even though I'm queer, I'm very straight presenting. And so nobody looks at me in a job interview and has immediate homophobic thoughts that will influence me getting that job, right? That's not the case for every queer person. That might be different once they know that I'm queer, but on immediate glance, that's not happening. And it's the same with race. As a white person, nobody is looking at me in that job interview and thinking these unconscious, very implicit bias thoughts a lot of the time that will prevent me from getting that job. And so it's understanding that we live in a culture that has historically, for centuries, prioritized white bodies above all others. And that is our job to start unlearning the ways that has influenced our thoughts, our beliefs, and our privilege in this world. And doesn't that also take into account things where whiteness isn't just simply the color of our skin, that there's other qualities that are attributed to, to whiteness, like thinness, health, certain beauty standards, certain facial features, certain ways that we talk, our yeah. name. Like we both have Anglo names or English names. Someone might have a name that comes from a very specific European background, and they're going to have stigma on it first of having something that a little bit more westernized or homogenized, as it were. And this is the thing, there is no immediate implicit bias in our cultures against any of these things that when you have a Western name, especially if you're thin, that is a thing as well, and if you're white and you're female, and those biases are just not going to be held against you. 
So we need to start to recognize that. And you, this work of unlearning, like it, it goes back centuries, this level of bias that has been taught to us. It's not something that we are going to learn overnight. And I think a really good example of this, or a good way to start to think about this, is a story that David Foster Wallace shares about two young fish swimming along, and in the opposite direction comes an older fish who comes swimming by. And the older fish, he tips his hat and he says, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish smile and keep swimming until eventually one of them turns and looks to the other and says, what the hell is water? And I love that story because that is such a good analogy of what it is living in a patriarchal society or in a white supremacist society that we don't always see the water that we're swimming in. We don't see the way the system is built because it's of us. We are the system. And so understanding and unpacking that is just about starting to see the water, starting to recognize the different ways that it plays in, that there are different challenges that different people face for different reasons. Exactly. So we went pretty deep on all of this and we started off with manifestation and we're now looking at all the different ways that society is trying to influence what we manifest or how we manifest. What would be that first step of unlearning all that? Because we talked about wanting to find what our true causes or what it is we truly want. But some people out there might not even be at that point. So what mm. steps can they take to start leaning into that? That first step of figuring out what we want is actually an entry step. I really do. But it's also about really being able to examine what is it that I want to feel? I might not know what I want on the outside, but what is it that I want to feel? And then how can I help create this feeling, not just for myself, but for somebody else? Because that's fundamentally what we're talking about here. If we are only manifesting for ourselves and we are not considering the wider needs of our community, then we're missing half the puzzle. So how can we make somebody else feel more loved? How can we make somebody else feel more welcome? How can we make somebody else feel more abundant, more secure, and more safe? If it's more money that we want, how can we ensure that everybody around us also has that experience of having something unexpected make their day. But I also think another thing to factor into this as well, I just, to come back to this point, is that manifestation has, to me, the science behind it, what we pay our attention to matters. If we have, you know, if we're filled with negative beliefs, we can't see the possibilities. There's so much we could look at there. But it doesn't mean that we create everything that happens in our lives. Nobody chooses war. Nobody chooses sexism. Nobody chooses racism. Nobody chooses poverty. The answer to all of those problems does not lie just in our thinking. And so we need to be mindful that as we use manifestation to improve our own lives, that we're also using it somehow in the world, that we're also looking outward and saying, okay, as I get these things that make me feel good, that make me feel secure, that make me feel like I'm living, I'm really happy. How can I spread this feeling into our systems and into our communities to help uplift everybody else around us at the same time? And thank you for sharing that. So we've covered a lot today. Laura, is there anything else that you want to share with our audience before we go? Just that, you know what? I, I think if, if you are new to this, give it a go. Mm -hmm. Think about what it is you want to feel. Focus on the feeling, not the external results. And then really lean in to seeing if you can trust and believe in that feeling over this next week. But then while you do that, look outward and make somebody else feel it at the same time. It's not just about us. I think that's my last message. Yep. Pay it forward there. Laura, where can people find your online? 
My website is laurahartley.com. I'm also on Instagram at laura.h.hartley. And I'm on LinkedIn, if that's your space as well, under Laura Hartley. And it's lovely uh, to have been on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. What an amazing discussion. Let's recap. We talked about what manifestation is. Laura shared that this concept has been around for a long time. That when we envision what we want to create and act on it, we have the ability to change the world around us to align with our thoughts. The law of attraction frames the universe as our ally in this process that works on our behalf rather than something that we have to push against or conquer. The challenge we face is that we live in a hyper-individualistic consumerist culture that tries to tell us what we should want and what we should try to acquire, which are things with price tags. This leads us to seeing manifestation as a form of materialism, which is not supposed to be. By shifting manifestation towards the accumulation of stuff, we lose sight of the environmental impact of our wants, or so-called wants. In keeping focus on the individual, we don't notice the growing divide between the haves and the have-nots. The driving force behind all of this is the ideology of capitalism, which Laura explains is based on three principles, infinite growth on a finite planet, manufactured scarcity through planned obsolescence, which is needing to replace things in our lives because they either break over time or become obsolete, and placing value on something based on what can be extracted from it. This impacts not only how we see the world, but ourselves as well, needing to always get more, gain more, and looking down on ourselves for not being enough or having enough, even if we don't understand what enough is. We get stuck on comparing ourselves and worrying on whether we have enough versus seeing ourselves as interconnected and making sure that we all have enough. We also got into parts of the human experience we can't put a price tag on. Feeling deeply, relating, connecting not only with each other, but with the natural world. We can have just as profound of a spiritual experience camping in the woods overnight as we can at a $10,000 spiritual retreat. And if you don't remember that part that Laura said, that's the way that you know that you're progressing spiritually, you may want to go back and re-listen. We also discussed privilege and white supremacy which can be touchy topics for some because of how they've been politicized. The important thing to remember is that sometimes we forget the diversity of lived experiences. And when we build a society that says one group's lived experience is the default, we make it harder for others because they have to spend time and energy adjusting to meet this standard of normal. When we acknowledge how these biases bleed into the systems that we create, we can take steps to build a world that supports a multitude of lived experiences and being. Finally, we talked about a framework for ethical manifestation, first figuring out what we truly and deeply want. Rather than focusing on stuff, Laura suggests focusing on feelings and the steps that you can take to create those feelings for yourself and for others around you, and taking action to bring those experiences that evoke those emotions. If you want to follow up with our guests and check out more about what she does, check out her website, laurahartley.com. She's on Facebook at Laura Hartley Coaching, on Instagram at laura.h.hartley, and on LinkedIn at laura-hartley. Do you know someone who would be interested in learning about manifestation without the good vibes only hype? I'd love for you to share this episode with them. 
That's going to wrap up this episode of Spiritual AF Sundays. And remember, what we understand about spirituality is filtered through our culture. And in the West, that culture embodies one way of being as the default and others as not. We're living in that society requires a little bit of extra work to adapt. This is where the topic of privilege comes in, how much you don't have to adjust to fit with the default. Add in the ideology of capitalism, which places a monetary value on everything and judges worth based on that value. This all bleeds into our spirituality, our connection with ourselves and the world around us and can affect what we think we want in life. When we separate our spirituality and desires from what society says that we should believe and want, we can manifest authentically and ethically and live life to the fullest. That's all for now. Have a spiritual AF week. Thank you for joining us for Spiritual AF Sundays. This show is hosted by the Mystic Geek. That's me. Got comments or questions from today's episode? You can either email me at jess at themysticgeek.com or send me a voice message at speakpipe.com slash themysticgeek. Don't worry, I'll put the link in the show notes. Help others start off their week with a Spiritual AF Sunday by sharing this episode with them. Also, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help spiritual seekers find our show. So do the thing. 